welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm Ross Chevalier. In the last week, I've received a couple of questions from listeners and readers of my articles on how to determine if a guitar's action is right. As there's no right per se, I will instead approach the process of defining what action is best for your use cases. This methodology applies equally to bass guitars and other stringed instruments that have a fretboard, and even if the instrument is fretless, but that is a bit of a digression that I will not cover today. First, let's define what action is. It is the measurement between the top of the fret, typically measured at the 12th fret, and the bottom of the string. As strings have different diameters, Makers usually specify what they feel is the optimal measurement for the lowest frequency and highest frequency strings. So for us, that's the low E and the high E. These recommendations are usually fine for an entire tone up or down if you detune or uptune but a very substantial divergence from the stated norm may cause you to make a decision to alter the action. The best action could be simplified as being the smallest distance for your use case, but no smaller. Ideally, the action is low enough that you don't have to strain to fret a note, and high enough that you don't get buzz from the string contacting a fret closer to the bridge when you fret a note. Remember that these are the general guides, and you should optimize for your own use. For example, if you shred and use a lot of distortion and are not a regular user of clean tones, a little fret buzz may not bother you at all. However, let's say you play with a slide most of the time. You're going to want to set a higher action so the slide isn't whacking into the frets. Hence my earlier statement that no one action is correct. It's about what's right for you. It's also important to note that the optimal action has no relationship whatsoever to the skill level of the player. Sadly, many entry-level guitars come with action that is set too high. This causes pain and frustration for the newer player. While it's common, it's also really stupid. The same can be said for too low an action where fret buzz, or even fret contact higher up, will sound and be out of tune, or excessively noisy, and will interfere with learning what a chord or note is supposed to sound like. The optimal action, regardless of skill level, is as low as is appropriate for your use case. We measure the action from the top of the fret to the bottom of the string because the note changes when the string is pressed at the fret, but not pressed all the way to the fingerboard. Some very tall frets could sound out of tune because of the amount of string bend that is required to get it in contact with the fretboard. Also, very flat frets can sometimes sound out of tune due to an error in one of the elements in setting the action overall. Some players even prefer scalloped fretboards where the string can never touch the fretboard, while fretless players require the string to contact the fretboard in very precise locations. 
The first thing we measure as part of getting an optimal action is the straightness of the neck. Take a straight edge, like a metal ruler, preferably long enough to go from the first fret to the last and rest the edge on the frets on the low side and then on the high side of the fretboard. In an optimal state, that straight edge is in contact with every fret. If the neck is bowed up, there'll be frets at one end of the straight edge, or even at both ends, that fall away from the straight edge. This means that there is too much tension in the truss rod, causing what we call upbow. Gaps between the straight edge and the fret tops in the middle indicate not enough tension in the truss rod. However, some players do prefer a small amount of downbow or neckbow. Strings, when tuned properly, will place well over 100 pounds of tension on a neck. So, in an ideal world, the truss rod is adjusted with the strings on the instrument and tuned to pitch. Sadly, in desperate pursuit of pointless adherence to 70-year-old designs, we still find situations where the truss rod can only be adjusted when the neck is removed from the guitar. Those folks insisting on vintage design, from Fender for example, are going to run into this a lot. And bluntly, just because it's an old system does not make it better. If your neck has too much downbow, the gaps in the middle, you need to tighten the truss rod. And remember what we were taught when we were young. Righty, tighty, lefty, loosey. Make adjustments one quarter turn at a time. Wait a couple of minutes for the neck to settle, then retune the instrument using a reliable electronic tuner. Now check the neck again with your straight edge. Don't rush and don't over tighten. If your instrument has a modern dual action truss rod, this is safer for the unskilled user than a single action truss rod, but in either case, never force things. To adjust the truss rod, you're going to use the truss rod wrench that came with your instrument. And if you've lost it, you'll have to buy a new one. I have a full set of truss rod wrenches that I purchased from Stumac, consisting of seven straight truss rod wrenches and three bent wrenches that are used inside the sound hole of an acoustic guitar. In the event that your guitar has no truss rod, and it could be this way if it's a really old antique guitar, or a modern guitar if it's a super cheap piece of crap, you're going to need to engage a professional luthier. If the neck has upbow, you're going to loosen the truss rod. Using the same process, one quarter turn at a time, let the neck settle, tune it up, check again. When you finally believe you've got your neck adjusted properly, step away. Go have a coffee. You want to let the guitar settle for about 15 minutes. The truss rod lies in a channel and you're making it bend the neck. The neck fights back, and the more the adjustment, the more fighting back is going to happen. So I'd strongly suggest you give it a little bit of time to settle fully, do a final check, and if all is good, and it probably will be, you're in good stead to move ahead. Now just as an FYI, while marketing people make all manner of noise about one-piece necks, 
three- and five-piece laminated necks, as we find typically on bass guitars, move less and hold their position better. In addition to a truss rod, some modern necks have, will have carbon fiber rods installed into the neck. This is a good thing, but you may still need to adjust the neck on occasion. Now I have to be clear, I'm making an assumption that you don't have uneven fret heights. Most decent guitars today do not have this problem to any significant level. But if your instrument does, well, it's time to get it to a luthier or qualified technician. While you may be able to fix a fret leveling issue yourself, awesome, but I'm not going to try to teach you how to do it. So now we assume that the neck is in good stead. Next, we take an action gauge and measure the action, referring to the maker's recommendations. Remember, we're going to use our gauge at the 12th fret, measuring from the top of the fret to the bottom of the string. I strongly recommend that every guitar and bass player own a simple action gauge. You can get really good ones very inexpensively from Music Nomad, and you can typically find that sort of stuff on Amazon. I like the black one just because it's easy to read. And it also has a little bit of fret rocker capability built into it. It's a good device. Now, when we measure that action, we're referring again to the maker's recommendations. Now, these recommendations are done in the context of whatever gauge strings is shipped on the instrument. Play every note on every string and every fret and listen for buzz. If there's none, that's great. Now do the same thing, but adding in a half-step bend on every string from about the seventh fret on up. If you don't hear any buzz or the string going dead during the bend, that's perfect. This tells you very, very quickly that the action is not set too low. At this point, if you find that the action is still too high according to the manufacturer's recommendations or to your own personal preference, you're going to need to lower the height of the string at the bridge. The level of adjustability is a function of the bridge itself. And if the bridge contains saddles or if the saddles are separate on a different plate, that's where it's going to happen. The very old Gibson style wrap around bridges offered minimal control of action height because the only options were to raise or lower the studs that the bridge tailpiece hooked onto. Tighten to lower, loosen to raise it. Unfortunately, the system only works across all the strings and can require a fair bit of tweaking to get it right. Moreover, when you get to the intonation step, you're going to find minimal to zero capability for intonation adjustment with this type of bridge. Yes, it's vintage looking, and no, it's not an optimal design. Now, if we move on to the type of bridge that has posts at either end with turning wheels that you use to raise or lower the ends, this is an improvement, and it's going to let you raise or lower either end of the bridge or both together, but it doesn't allow you to set the height of each individual string. 
So there's a bit of a compromise. Turn the locking nut to the right to lower it. Turn it to the left to raise it. Always retune after each change and check the action with your action height gauge. Always be sure you've retuned because checking the action without retuning is not helping. These bridges, such as Gibson's ABR type, allow for individual string intonation setting, but not individual string height setting. If you have a Telecaster style bridge and saddle system, you can set the height and intonation by pairs of strings. It's a nice system for string height because both ends of the barrels are adjustable for height, but it's not optimal for intonation, although many players replace the stock barrel type saddles with compensated saddles that can help with the intonation step. However, the most tunable bridge and saddle system is like what we find, for example, on a Stratocaster. Each saddle is individually adjustable for height and for intonation. Yes, it takes more time, but it's a superb system and really helps you tune your action to suit. Now for us acoustic players. If we have an acoustic guitar with a single piece saddle, which is the most common, and the saddle is either too low or too high, you're going to need to take your guitar to a luthier or technician with experience on working with acoustic instruments. Either a new saddle is going to be required when the one that you have is too low, or if the saddle that you have is too high, it's going to need to be reduced in height. A further bit of information, which may complicate things a little bit, but is important to understand, is that the arc of the saddles will typically have to match the radius of the fingerboard. Old-style fender fingerboards have a 7 and a quarter inch radius, which is very comfortable but because the curvature is aggressive, aggressive bends can sometimes cause the note to fret out. That's why Fender has changed the stock fingerboards on most of their guitars now to be a nine and a half inch radius. Classic nylon string guitars have flat fingerboards with no radius. And we will find other guitars having 10 inch, 12 inch, 14 inch, and even compound radiuses where the radius is smaller at the first fret than at the last fret to prevent bends from fretting out. I bring this up only to remind you that the saddles on a bridge are never likely to be fully level with each other. Or, in the case of the acoustic guitar, you'll see curvature in the top of the bridge saddle. Once you have the bridge and satellite optimized for your use and have repeated the play on every fret on every string with some bends to again ensure that you don't have buzz or fretting out, now it's time to set your intonation. We need to do this because whenever we change the action height, we change the intonation to some extent. The intonation is the ability of the guitar to play in tune all the way up the neck. The position of the intonation adjustment screws varies from saddle to saddle. So instead, we talk not about where the screws are, 
but about moving the saddle away from the headstock or towards the headstock. Now, obviously, in an acoustic guitar, this may not be possible. And, well, it's a bit of a compromise. In the case of an electric guitar where we can set intonation, we set it based on the frequency of a harmonic played at the 12th fret compared to the frequency of the fretted note at the 12th fret. Just for as an FYI, the nut edge, where the string ang angle changes to go from the fretboard down to the tuners, is the other end of this string length and intonation measurement. So to intonate, we're going to tune all the strings to pitch. Now, one string at a time. We're going to play a harmonic at the 12th fret and then the same string fretted at the 12th fret. We're going to use our electronic tuner and see if they are different. If the tuner indicates that the fretted note is sharp, you're going to turn the intonation screw to move the saddle away from the headstock. If the tuner indicates that the fretted note is flat, you're going to turn the intonation screw to move the saddle towards the headstock. Turn the intonation screw one half turn, then retune all the strings. A change in tension of one can affect all the strings, and there's no point trying to intonate a guitar that is out of tune. Repeat the process, comparing the harmonic to the fretted note and making an adjustment, retuning and measuring again until the string is properly intonated. Now repeat this for the remaining strings on the instrument. Remember that Telecaster dual string saddles are always a bit of a compromise. And as I said earlier, acoustic fixed saddles are going to be pretty much what they are as it's very uncommon to find an acoustic bridge that has an adjustable intonation. In a perfect world, each string is adjustable for height and intonation. You may find this arrangement on an electric guitar, but it's going to be very rare on an acoustic guitar. That said, getting that next set properly is not hard, and if you proceed with calmness and small changes, you're going to get there. Now, the reason you need to check the neck is that it moves. They move as temperature and humidity changes. It's not a design flaw. It's a natural effect of using wood in the neck and the body of the guitar. Every player should learn to do neck checks and neck adjustments because it's the most common thing that's going to impact action height. Checking the neck on each string change when the new strings are on and in tune is quick. And if you've changed gauges of strings, well, you're probably going to want to check your action and your intonation anyway. Fortunately, so long as you're purchasing high-quality strings, small changes in gauges, up or down a couple of levels, will rarely make a material difference. I have found that most action issues are solved almost always with a simple neck adjustment. If you've lost your truss rod wrench, you can probably buy a replacement at your local guitar shop or from a good luthier supply house, such as Stumac or Solo Guitars. You can get sets of small drivers, Allen key, hex head, type of thing, and screwdrivers to adjust saddle height and intonation from Amazon. 
You just need to know if the saddle height screws on your instrument are imperial or metric. You probably got the Allen keys for these with your guitar in the same package as the dress rod wrench. But I find that these things often vanish in the excitement of unboxing, particularly these days when so many guitars are sold without cases or when guitars are bought right off the wall and the case goodies or packaged goodies don't make it home with you. Thanks as always for listening. Please leave a comment or click to send in your question for the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm Ross Chevalier and I bid you peace. Thank you.